Hello, and welcome to the Recovery Matters podcast from CCAR, the podcast where putting recovery first is always the goal. Here we present interviews, discussions, stories, and speeches to cultivate the understanding and acceptance of the power, hope, and healing of recovery from alcohol and other addictions. Here are your hosts, Phil and Sandy Valentine. Three, two, one. So, Phil. Ha, ha, ha. I'm the count. Sometimes I just don't know how I have made it this long. <laughs> Philip, you know that I have like extreme passion for all things British, which well, I know. Well, say it with some passion then. I have a lot of passion for all things that British. Kind of passion. Say it with some passion. Okay, I love the whole like British thing, and I always thought it was just. Because I read a lot of books growing up and all that stuff. But I recently found out that my grandfather, who I thought was from Sweden and then immigrated to England and immigrated to the U.S., he was actually born in Yorkshire, England. We've had a chance to visit England twice. So when you talked to me about a young woman that you had met, I was so excited, particularly just... That didn't sound right. Oh, (laughs) <laughs> Sometimes I hate you so much. You shared with me about this incredible work that was being done in England. Yes. By a mother-daughter duo. Yes. Around recovery coaching. They took recovery coaching and latched onto the concepts and just uh, ran with it. And yeah. they've been running for, what, two, three years yeah, now? Yeah, two, 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 a little over two years. But our first visit, I heard a different accent than what accent than what I anticipated from somebody living in England. Yeah, it's a Texas Te- Texan Texas accent. Drawl. Drawl. Hi, y'all. The Texas twang. Yeah. Good there morning. You go. Or good afternoon. Yeah, afternoon. Oh, introduce yourself, Khalees. My name, well, hey y'all, my name is Khalees. <laughs> I always, hey, I always say, hey y'all, hey y'all. Yes. My name is Khalees. I am a woman in long-term recovery and I am a recovery coach professional and trainer. And I started Recovery Coach Academy in the UK with my mama here in England. I still don't detect it, you being influenced at all by the accent that you are surrounded by where you live. Really? Uh-huh. Some people say that I've lost my Texas accent, but I think that the y'all stays there always. And there's just certain words. It gets, I think too, whenever you talk to family, you know, if I call, if I'm on the phone with my brother a lot, my mom says as soon as I get off the phone with him, he, she's like, "You sound like you have been in Hicktown." Uh-huh. Like, yeah. So I don't know. You yeah. speak to. You know what I wanted to ask you? I don't think I've ever heard the name Khalees before. Why? Is it? What does Khalees mean? Anything in particular? You know, actually, I've tried. So if you actually look up Khalees in, I think, Greek mythology and things like that, it says Khalees means beautiful. Mm-hmm. But um, I don't, other than that, that's not, that's all I really know. My mom, the way she, because I've asked where my name came from, and she said that my nana was working for a lawyer or something, and they would they would get mail from other lawyers in the area. And a new lawyer had came in to town or something, and she saw, and the lawyer's name was Khalees, and my mom was like, my mom was pregnant with me, and she was like, I like that. <laughs> she does, 
she does joke that my middle name is Alexandra, and she said, I, I really wanted you to be called Callie Alley. And to me, I'm just like, <laughs> that is not me. I That just doesn't really sound like me, Callie Alley. Well, you talked about being a recovery coach professional, and you're a recovery coach professional facilitator. And yes, you've delivered curriculum often over the last two years and built a remarkable recovery community in the UK. How would you start that journey? How would you describe your beginning? I didn't really know a lot about what was going to happen, but I was just ready to willing to learn, jump in, do whatever I can do. And so I would just say passionate, you know, you have to have some passion in order to even start to want to do something like that. And, you know, something I tell people all the time is whenever I moved to England, after coming from Texas, like, cause I moved to England like two weeks after leaving rehab after 90 days. And I told my mom like a year into my recovery, I said, I never realized how good I had it until I moved to England because the support was lacking, you know, sure. all of those things that I had opportunities to. And I think I'm really passionate about bringing those here and making sure that everybody has options and different choices. And there's different things, intensive outpatient programs, sober living, whatever that may be for you, pathways of recovery, let's get it going. I don't know. Describe your uh, experience with the Recovery Coach Academy. First, how did you come to take it and what was the experience like? I um, came to take the Recovery Coach Academy because, you know, the C word COVID had happened. And I think in a, in a blessing in disguise, it was something that came my mom always says everything in life happens for a reason, a season, or a lifetime. And I really, I really believe that in my heart. Like, and I just left the job. I was on sick actually from a, the job I currently had at a drug service and my mental health was in a really bad place. It was like the worst depression I've ever had in my recovery journey. And it was a very toxic workplace. And my mom has all, my mom had already been doing some recovery coaching groups. Like she was trying to get it going here in the UK, but it, what she couldn't get it latched on, you know, she needed that recognition, that validation, mm -hmm. that being vetted. She needed that. And then whenever COVID happened, y'all allowed training online. And so my mom said, please, like, I think this would be really good for you and me. And she was like, we could do this together. And so we, we attended RCA online and it was one, I was, I was, I, I mean, in the past five years, I've been building a relationship with my mom, you know? So in a way, like that was two years into my recovery and me and my mom were like little high school girls. We would like be online in different rooms and then we'd come down on the breaks and we'd do homework together and we'd say, that was interesting. And we have like those conversations, like, so it kind of brought our relationship together in a way as well. Whenever I was on that training, it was just kind of like, wow, these people get it. Like y'all were talking about things that I had felt. I mean, and even from like, even as, as a very young person, I always said I wanted to be like a counselor or a therapist or something. And I wanted to help people, but I wanted to show them that they didn't always need help just through medication, <laughs> which was what I told myself being 15 years old, 16 years old. I, whenever I went to college, my major was psychology with a minor in business. Like. I didn't finish. Don't get me wrong. Didn't finish. But I always wanted to help people in the language y'all spoke and the people that were on there and the conversation. It just 
lit my fire right up, I guess you could say. Do you have any takeaways, your big learnings from the first academy? Oh. And how, how you might separate that from all the others you've delivered know, over I'm there. Like, that's about, I'm like, oh, oh, okay. Let me think for a second. I think, um, one, you know, the spectrums of attitudes is always a huge thing for me. And I think especially because of the place I was in at that time, working at a place where I was definitely treated as an object mm-hmm. and going through the way I felt. And I was like, I wish we could empower people more like that. What was and your I, What was your title then? So I was a recovery worker and that was, and that was a higher position than a support worker. And I had been a peer mentor. I had managed the recovery cafe. I'd moved up to a support worker and then I moved up to a recovery worker. What was the recovery cafe experience like? Um, I loved it. Don't get me wrong. I loved it because that's, I love people. I love community. I think that's why, you know, we have a community that's part of our RCA training today and we would uh we would run different groups and i could help organize events and like come up with ideas like we had everybody bring in art one time and then i'd done the food and i i knew like a guy who was blind and played guitar and he was in recovery and i said do you want to come play at the event like and just really bringing people away from the community to get them involved Mm -hmm. i love that aspect of it so what was your last profession in your addiction Weren't you a bartender? Oh, yeah. And weren't you a good bartender? Oh, I was a really <laughs> good bartender. I also managed, so while Say- I was bartending, I was also a manager at a country club. I moved, I worked, I worked up, I moved myself up through the country club industry. Those skills that you had then transferred to your role now and oh, being yeah. a coach. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. And our customer service experience, you know, in Texas, I definitely, my customer service deals with how I made my money. Mm-hmm. So I'm above and beyond. And what, if I don't have the answers, let me call somebody, let me figure out what I can do. Let me accommodate. And that's what we do today in RCA. Mm-hmm. So you went, you went, took the RCA. One of the take takeaways was that treating people like a resource, like uh, they are the best resource on their own lives. We don't treat p- people like objects. And then you went to take on other training. And, oh, yeah. And you, what came first? Did you train your first academy first, or did you get your recovery coach professional designation first? So, Phil, I feel like, wow, you know, whatever you're asking me these questions, I don't feel like I felt like I've been doing what I'm doing for as long as I've been doing it. Mm-hmm. And so now I'm kind of, I think, I think, no, I think I, deli- I delivered training before I got my RCP. Sure. But me and mom, before we delivered our training, y'all, we practiced in our house. And because it was COVID, we had, you know, my Nana on the couch, the dog, my son on the couch, my stepdad. I think my Nana has attended an RCA with us like nine times. Is your son like, the youngest recovery coach ever? Oh my gosh. He, yes. And, and it's, re- it's really funny actually, because at school he had said a couple of weeks ago, they had like a little break with school. And then he said, somebody in his class was saying, oh, my dad was drinking all the time. He said, well, I told him his dad needs a recovery coach. Nice. <laughs> Beautiful. That's cool. <laughs> So he definitely, he is definitely an advocate for recovery coaching. This is my perspective, is that we've always 
presented this opportunity to facilitate CCAR curriculum so people could generate a business, like the business of recovery, which is not a, a bad word. Business is not a bad word. The business of recovery and training recovery coaches, you two, and there's been a few others, but you two have modeled it and taken it to places we had always hoped somebody would do. What was that journey like for you? Why did it why did it ring so deeply and so true for you? Well, I think what okay, I mean, my mom and I, we are both in recovery. We are a family in recovery. We are four generations under one roof. So that's right there a lot of experience experiences, you know, that we have been through. And my my mom does have a history in business you know, managing businesses and organizations and things, whatever. Us having, being, I'm also, you know, 25 years younger than my mom. So we are different age groups where we were able to bring all of that together. But it's also, we've both been through hard experiences and we both have saw a lot of people that needed support and we have stepped in and we have always tried to give that support. And so no matter what, we kind of like to say our RCA, we, when you attend training with us, it's a family. Like we are a family. <sighs> this is a family. Like you, I mean, I talk to students all the time. I was just talking to one on the way to school. Like they, they know they can call us. They know we're going to be there. And I think that that's like hard to find. And a lot of people aren't used to that. And so if we can be present with people, if we can pick up the phone, if we can help them with the DBS or whatever that may be, that's deep. And people remember how we made them feel. People mm -hmm. remember that we're the first, you know, whenever nobody else would answer the phone, we we pick up the phone. I completely and connect with that. You know, I, I just left um, one recovery community at the University of Connecticut and about to join another one. And as I'm leaving, it feels different than other departures from other places because we're in the recovery community together. So we may not see each other. You know, you mentioned a season, a reason, all that. But we may not see each other, but r recovery reconnects you the minute you bump into somebody in an airport or at a conference or you're desperate for an answer that you can't find anywhere else and you know you can pick up the phone. And as I left, people were asking me, like, how did you accomplish so much in the short amount of time? And I said, I didn't. The recovery community did because they rallied around me literally from day one. What do you need? How can we help? People had mm -hmm. nothing to do with the university I was at. And I feel like it includes you and your mom, too, across oh, the sea. I, you know, with the inspiration and your videos and your your graciousness. Oh, well, it's thank different you. than any other kind of business. It's a family affair. <laughs> Yes, I call it the family business. And people yeah. think I just mean Phil and I, but I don't. Oh. So over the course of the last two years, what are, I want a couple highlights and a couple points where it was really difficult. I think I, a lot of my highlights are to do with our our student success, I think, if mm -hmm. I'm being honest. Like yeah. They're not even my highlights. I'm just proud and happy and it's beautiful to watch others accomplish things that they didn't see were possible. And that's really beautiful. It's, I think some highlights have been that whenever 
people who were against recovery coaching or might have challenged it have started to become open to have those conversations. And so that's really big. Um, I just, I want to share too, like, like so our students have set up businesses or have taken recovery coaching into prison. Our students have started recovery coaching in NHS, the hospitals and organizations. And, and I just want to say too, like, you know, we talk about recently, I feel like I've been having a lot of conversations on how do we advocate for the role of a recovery coach and how do we protect the role of a recovery coach? We've met so many people that will support us and give us the liberation and guide us. And our students will say, we've had a couple students in our community that say, yeah, I got this new job. It says it's a recovery coach and I'm really looking forward to it. And they end up quitting within a week because they say, no, this is not the job of a recovery coach. And I just think, I know that doesn't sound like a celebration or a highlight, but I'm just like, well, help the power of them saying, actually, this isn't the role of a recovery coach. Let me tell you what a recovery coach is. What you're talking about is a completely different role, and that's not my lane. So they're not only learning, but they're educating others, and they're staying in their lane. And these are all the things that are really important Um, highlights. So I feel, I mean, we've got CPD accreditation. Um, What's what's that? So what's that stand for? Continuing professional development, and that is that is what they use. They validate in the UK. So Uh a lot of people are able to attend our training and then use that within their workplace or other accreditations they want to get. Um, I guess I know, you know, the ICF, the International Coaching Federation, I hope I'm saying that correctly. They have recognized the CEUs and CPD accreditation from attending our training as well to apply for others who want to get ICF accreditation. So that's really big as well to mm-hmm. see that RCA is being recognized as valid, vetted, you know, a quality training to give people the knowledge and skills. Mm-hmm. Um, you put me on the spot with that one. Well, so. that's good. Well, that go to the, the next part about when did it get tough? So, you know, this is a family business. <laughs> so whenever we work together and we live together and we all have a lot of passion and feelings and opinions, Sometimes things can get a little bit sticky, mm-hmm. but at the end of the day, it was, I told my mom, my mom, I guess recently we've had some stuff that is challenging, just trying to protect the role of a recovery coach, trying to make sure say that we are ethical. Something I do find really challenging is people don't believe that when people do training with us and they get their RCP and they say, look, I'm this, they are professionals. They are professionals. Uh-huh. They work hard. They they even reach out and ask for guidance. And I trust them. I trust them. They are professionals. So whenever people discredit them or say they're just somebody in recovery and has a, you know, a, ta- a target on them or they're not good enough or because they didn't go through this other program or something, that's really hard for me. I kind of I have a lot of feelings. Like, I guess I'd say I'm an emotional person sometimes where I have to reel it back in, but it, it's sad because I don't, that goes back to treating people like resource, mm-hmm. object to recipient, like what you have to think good enough. And so you always say we trust people till they give us a reason not to. And I really believe in that wholeheartedly. So I think those are some things I find really difficult with our students not being looked at as professionals, our community members, whenever they bust their little booty. So how and do they, you, how do you coach the student? Or the coach that 
is in that situation? What questions do you ask them? We, we, we provide support no matter what, but I think it's not necessarily the question, but we kind of use that acronym, you know, do what is right. Is that's something, and that's with respect, integrity, gratitude, honesty, and transparency. We always tell our students that as well, but what can we do to support you in that? And sometimes it's like, can you just have a conversation with these people? And me and my mom are always happy to accommodate. I think uh, to the more we have recovery coaches and recovery coach professionals, the more background it has. If the more people, you know, I think it was like a year ago, one of our students was doing some stuff in the hospital or an organization and a higher up organization offered said they wanted to buy him out and then they would give him a job at the, there and they said that they were gonna discard and discredit him and all like it was just really toxic and he said but if Nitha if you Nitha, you would have been there and Khaleesi you would have been there and 10 of our other recovery coach professionals in that room I don't think she would have spoken to me like that so I think it's kind of rallying around and making sure we stay strong and unified and we are we we are professionals and we act ethical and we continue to do what is right. I would I would ask you about exploring the role of advocate. You know, like and that's what you were talking about. Uh there's there's the role of advocate for recovery for the recovery community and for the recovery coach role. And also as a recovery coach, we have to advocate for all of those. Uh -huh. And we also have to advocate for the individual we serve, the recovery. And you're in the midst of it in a really, let's put it this way, you have fertile ground to uh, really advocate for these issues. So if I, I would always be curious if a coach was in that situation where somebody was going, said something so like blatant and obvious. Well, how did the coach respond to that woman? I, well, this, this coach is very, he, he stains his ground, let's just say. So oh, he was like, actually, and you know, we sent him some resources. Um, we, I think he sent our website. He mm -hmm. like sent information because I, I kind of find with advocate, like when we talk about advocating for the role of recovery coach, it's a lot about education. People don't know what they don't know until they know it. So, so we might we might not agree, but I think there's there should always be room for a conversation. Do you ever find for you advocating not having been born in England? Do you find that might be a disadvantage sometimes? Yeah, yeah. How do you meet the culture? <laughs> um. I am a dual citizen, don't get me wrong, but my accent doesn't sound very British, I guess you would say. <laughs> um, I've learned a lot, I, and I always, and I have lots of questions. I am curious, but I'm a very curious person anyway, so tell me about that. You know, tell me, um, I think curiosity is how you meet the culture. Mm -hmm. um, willingness and humility and empathy and compassion and being curious and hearing their experiences. Yeah. What's it like to be a young person in recovery in the UK? And challenging. In what ways? It's really so. It's really interesting because something I I'd, I'd written like a year ago. Whenever I was just I do like a lot of reflective practice. I love a reflective practice and a brain dump. And my mom, something she says is, "Please, you know, one day you're gonna have to step up and have all the. You're gonna have to." And I just 
wrote, how are we supporting our future leaders when it's time to pass the baton? You know, and will I be ready to take that baton whenever she hands it over? I don't feel like young people are recognized. I feel like there is a bias due to my age. I can tell you, and I've experienced it. I've, I've really wholeheartedly experienced it. Whenever I was a board member, I mean, I currently am a board member for Favor UK. And I remember that I'd said, you know, how is Favor UK saying that they are the face of the voices of Recovery UK whenever the board doesn't really show that? Where's the young people? Where's the people with disability? Where's the people, where's the family members? You know, where, you know, where different race, ethnicity, whatever. And so um, I was, I was offered to attend a board meeting, sit on a couple, and then I was asked the, if I wanted to join the board. So I applied and, and I did stuff, but I really didn't feel like I was, I was taken seriously. And then one recovery month, I planned like 30 virtual events. Some of you, you know, as y'all, I think mm-hmm. I asked y'all both to come. 30 virtual events. I did all of the work, set up the event, right? The Facebook events, the Zoom links. I did it all, the marketing, everything. And like we had reached over like 50,000 people from those events. And I had the proof, the stats. I did everything. Then all of a sudden, it was like, oh, wow. But prior to the seven months before that, I think not, not enough credit is given to young people for having navigated their disease right like you can take all that skill that you learn to secure your drugs evade consequences you can turn all that history and skill for good like yeah yeah i just think young people bring so much to the table but are often dismissed because they're only seeing how those skills got them into trouble, not that those same skills that they've built that were so good at getting their disease farther along the track can be put to getting everything else in life farther. Yeah. That was really confusing the way I said that. But Well, there's also an arrogance that comes with age that as people age, you need to be on guard for. And I'm just speaking as an older gentleman that, you know, I have all this experience. I know, you know, it. Well, what's really rings true is Art Woodard always says, you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. And I don't know through lived experience what it's like to be a young person today. You know, so one of the big factors in helping me was raising five kids yeah. that are young they, people yeah. today. So they, they have contributed so much to my life. It's a two-way street, right? Understanding of their sense of adventure, what they know, how the role of social media and the digital world and how they navigate the information explosion that's at everyone's fingertips and the stress of that. So I like to think that I'm very open to young people joining CCAR as employees, as recoveries, as coaches. I mean, I think I've told you there was last year around in January, I said, I walked into a room and said, hey, I celebrated 23 years in at CCAR. And this young woman goes, well, that we just hired. She goes, I'm 23. <laughs> and I went, yeah, oh. yeah, yeah. I went oh no, that, <laughs> that just happened. 
That's good though. That's oh, good. And and she, this person, does all our digital. She's one of our digital communications managers, and skill level is incredible, and knowledge, and work ethic, and everything. So yeah, um, um, we're in real trouble how we get away from young people in our life. Oh, I know. I think we have a lot to learn from young people. We just have to be willing mm -hmm. to listen and be curious and hear them because I mean well sometimes too young people I've run across this don't think the older generation has anything to offer either oh. <laughs> you know you know like what do you guys know you're like washed up over the hill why don't you go fishing Phil and just leave us alone we'll why take care of it why don't you go fishing <laughs> Phil <laughs> <laughs> so again you found that challenging and you gave one example that it's like you had to do this incredible body of work to be taken seriously. And do you, th you think that has to do with your age? Does it have to do with your gender at all? Do you, uh, how do you? Oh, well, <laughs> you know, well, you're bringing in gender too. I, I, I definitely think gender plays a role in it as well. I, I definitely think um, in my recovery, I've learned, I think in my recovery, I've learned to advocate for myself. Uh -huh. to speak up for myself because for so long I didn't um, say anything. I kept my mouth shut and was very much, this is what I have to do to make everybody happy, to whatever that may be. And from a childhood, you know, that was kind of ingrained in me. You don't, you say, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. You sit down and you, oh. and I also came from that background of respect your elders. So then respecting your elders means me not saying my view sometimes. Okay. That means me holding back. Where in my recovery, I've learned to stand up for myself. And that can be kind of challenging. Um, I definitely think my, my race, I mean, not my race, my, my gender has something to do with it as well. I look like a young person. I'm, you know, and even I've noticed too sometimes, like if I was just saying this, I was just delivering a training this week and I was saying you know if I've seen even if somebody says they're in long-term recovery and I say I'm in mid-term recovery and somebody says they're in early recovery automatically me and the person who who if I say I'm in midterm and the person who said they're in early recovery get dismissed we get devalued because <laughs> this person has long-term recovery so they have more than they are better than us so even in certain situations, I sometimes don't even put a label to that because I don't want anybody to feel devalued when we're, both of our experiences are valued. Yeah. Um, and everybody's I mean, recovery looks so different. Like, exactly. There are seasons of growth and seasons of no growth. So. Oh, can I share an observation I've had of you? Oh, boy. Hold, Let's go, Hold Phil. tight. Buckle up. Um, your inner confidence has blossomed. Well, thank you. I mean, I see you just when we're doing coaching for coaches or online that when you might have been hesitant to speak, you are generally curious. Generally, I can see you even through the screen reflecting oh, yeah. on who you are. And then you're willing to share it. And so I've talked recently with a lot of the, of the alpha females who report to me. It just happens to be that time of year where their performance appraisals come through and yeah. each one of them I've seen progress in what I would say finding your voice. What do we mean? Yeah, well, it, 
And then when you say finding your voice, and I think this is one of the things with my wife of many years that she is finally, she's had her voice, but now she's going to have a place where it's actually going to amplify and be heard and uh, really work that. But I think when recovery says to thine own self be true, that is another way of saying finding your own voice, that your outside matches your inside so that you can honestly share, you know, like, like you're doing here. Wow. That's a good question. I, I haven't really thought about that. Maybe I should have prepared. I mean, it's just like yeah. this inner dialogue that you're comfortable sharing, which is beautiful to see. So oh, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. you I th- definitely am an outside speaker. because, <laughs> like, like my, I do. I just rattle off because my brain's processing sometimes and it's all just coming out. But I thank you. That means a lot. I, I think especially because I've always struggled with my self-worth and finding my voice. That's something I've had. And I even say, say like, I think I'm always going to have to work on my self-worth because it's just, that's what it is. And that's okay. You know, recovery isn't a, let's, we fixed it now. Everything's great. I got to keep working on that. Here's my question, you know, define for you, define self-worth. What does that mean? I put myself down a lot. I don't give myself enough credit for like people. I don't often see what other people see in me. I don't often see my assets and skills within myself or feel because I, and I think to this kind of goes, you know, I see my mom and I'm like, she's amazing. You know, she's the way she conducts herself and the way she does this. And I'm like, oh, my mom's an amazing writer, you know? And I'm like, oh, I'll never be able to do that. My mom's like, Khalees, you paint amazing. You do amazing artwork that I will never be able to do. And she's like, do not compare yourself to me. Like what you have is amazing. It's different, <laughs> but you still are full of so many assets and skills where I can sometimes get stuck comparing myself to my mom, I think. And that's a family thing. And that's a codependent <laughs> thing. That's where I'm like, I mean, I remember being like two and a half years in recovery and I'm like, mom, I got to walk away. My codependency is flared up. My <laughs> codependency is flared up. I got to walk away from you. It's so powerful when you can define it and announce it, you know, okay. people understand. But I think, you know, I, I, re- I tend to resist gender stereotypes and things, but I do think that many women, including myself, we need a lot of positive self-talk because somehow we got in a ditch that we didn't plan to be in. And so, you know, I was having this conversation with a student recently. It's like, I have to tell myself I'm good enough. I'm worthy enough. I'm valuable enough, like in my head. Um, Because looking for it outside of me has never helped. He can tell me what he thinks of me all the live long day. That is not a miracle cure for what's happening inside me. It's nice, feels good in the moment, but it doesn't last. And so it's that like inner thing. Yep. Yeah. Wait, I can't. Yeah. I can't fix you. No, not today. <laughs> Do I need fixing, Khalees? You are perfect yeah. just the way you are. Yeah. I think though, too, like when we talk about recovery coaching, something I, you know, it's like my mom always says, an ant takes tiny steps, but it's still movement. And mm. like as a coach, you know, as a cheerleader, we can celebrate success. Mm-hmm. And for myself, I have to do that. Like I have a sometimes I'll if I'm in a sticky place i'll write down all of the things i did that day because sometimes i'll be like oh i did nothing today and it's like 
actually, Glace, here's proof. Look at all of the things you did today. I often like do something. I'm like, oh, good job, Khalees. And I give myself a pat on the back. And my mom's like, what is she doing? But for me, like, I have to like celebrate myself. I have to celebrate those things. I was thinking too about um, you comparing yourself to your mom. And isn't it amazing or wonderful that you have your mom to compare yourself to? I know. And, uh, I feel oh, like I'm very fortunate. Yeah, what would have been like, what would have been like if it was like your mom was still out there ripping and running and using and all that? I mean, what do you do that? I don't know. And I that, don't know. Can't imagine. Would you still feel? I mean, yeah. I'm just thinking about that whole role of like role model, uh-huh. and and who you look up to and things you ascribe to. You know, because um, there's a lot of people that have uh, a lot of character characteristics that I admire, that I that I strive to. You know, like Jolie can be kind and firm, and I, not very kind. <laughs> believe him, believe him, Khalees. Just believe. I, I guess I'm just lucky to not be on the other side of. Because I haven't had a not a kind conversation with you, so I, I guess I'm fortunate to be have not experienced that yet. Oh well, he's not. No, he's not unkind. He's just not overly compassionate. Extraneous with kindness. I mean, yeah. if you if you choose to like go out and hurt yourself and get used or whatever, I'd be like, go ahead. I mean. You know, or you like uh, rub some dirt on it. Come on, no, like, uh, I, on. I don't know. You know, and then there, there's Michael over here who's like the peacemaker. He's always this yeah. this like quality that when you get near him, you just feel safe. What is Dang. that? I I think the last thing people do around me is feel safe. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. He knows that I'm terrified hiking in the woods because I have a phobia of snakes. Mm-hmm. And he does nothing to help me with that when I'm walking in the woods. Phil! What am I supposed to do? He's supposed to shake him out and not tell me if he sees one. He's not supposed to go off trailing where you're more likely to run into them. But anyway, I want to turn a little bit before we wrap. Your own hike. Is to talk about (laughs) um, you as a mom. And so, you know, you've talked about the multi-generations, but... What is all this whole process of relocating to the UK and starting this work and then how that that impacts, you know, being a mom? So, one, I don't, I think, you know, part of my recovery journey was learning how to be a parent. Mm-hmm. I um, I don't think I had the best role models, I guess you could say, when it came, came to parenting. And so my mom my mom I tell you like my mom's always there like she's she plays a huge part in my life but she had taught me how to be a parent I actually attended like um uh parenting classes like things like that as well and just my mom was stern she needed to be stern with me and she'd say you know if you say you're gonna be here be here that doesn't mean be here and sit on your phone that means you're here and you're present and you need because she was like, this little boy needs stability. He needs stability and you need, like, if you can't do that, then either be here 100 or don't be here at all. Um, 
it's been a learning process. I think I always say too, like bring up recovery coaching again. You know, we talk about the the skills and the thought in recovery coaching can play a role in all in our own whole life. And I I think recovery coaching has made me a better parent. Mm-hmm. Being honest. Mm-hmm. I'll I'll give you a really good example. I have date night with my son every Saturday. And last Saturday we were playing a game and he lost and I said, Do you want me to help you? Like, do you want me to So we played a game and I was like, Oh, you could try this, or this, and then he lost and he seemed really angry. And I said, You know, you said you wanted my help. I have helped you, yet you still seem to be angry. Can you please help help me understand? And he was like, Well, mom, you just get really excited and you were like oh I would do this and you were just like because I do get excited don't get me wrong and he says what I really want you to do is maybe give me a couple options of things I could do rather than just telling me what you Ooh, would do and I'm getting right. excited what's and his I was name just like, I'm in love I have, we call him P <laughs> and and that's just and it's, I swear just things like that like have changed the way that I speak with him and you know even and that situations like that come up all the time uh-huh. I um I think because of my own childhood like I always say like I wanted to be very active and in, in, in life and do all of those things I actually just went to last week they had a this thing where the parents could come to the class for like two and a half hours and sit in class and do everything and I was like I've never been to a UK school before I'm going to school with these. and like he just whenever I'm present, like our relationship is stronger. Mm-hmm. And I think being, you know, I was like two years into recovery or something, whenever my mom let me take him out for the first time by myself, you know, I got to take him on a bus and go get ice cream and things like that. But I used to cry and like, cause I was told I was a bad mom for so long, like being told I was a bad mom because of my act of addiction. And like, I used to cry in early recovery and be like, I just want to be a better parent. And, I, and I, I've always loved my son. It was just I was not in the best place. Uh-huh. Like, I wasn't well, you know, and I couldn't even be there. But I also knew that my active addiction wasn't healthy. And so I had let my Nana take care of him. And I had let my mom take care of him, whatever. Because I want the best for him. I just knew I couldn't do all that he needed at that time. You know, that's so so much like the stigma that you just described of being told you are a bad mom. If if you were in cancer treatment in the hospital for six months and completely not there, nobody would ever lay that on you. Yeah. And and I think it's too like it it doesn't go away. Like, I know I'm a good mom, but I know I'm present now. I do all the right things, but I'll never forget that year of crying and praying or whatever and just being like I want to be better and I think to you know Phil you always say we teach what we best need to know Uh and at the end of last year I was delivering an RCA and we were talking about the stages of recovery and it was like you know the inner world starts the outer world starts matching the inner world and relationships based on love versus need and I just was I don't know something in that training just really thanked that day and I was like you know we think about connectedness and then integration and all of these things but what used to be fun with my son three years ago is like different than what it is now and we 
you know, rather than watching a movie, we'll do a puzzle and we talk and we just, I don't know, it's deep. And I was kind of, I don't know, it's different. And I think I was like, I think I'm going, I'm growing a little here. You know, I think I'm in this phase of growth right now because just delivering that session and thinking about, and then it made me even think about relationships I've in my life. Like, why does this not feel good right now? Whether, and it's like, and it's like I said on that coaching for coaches, like, I think I'm gaining clarity on what I value, what I want in my life, where the things I thought I needed were not necessarily what it's the cup of tea anymore. Yeah. The next one on coaching for coaches that I just ran that I found fascinating and I got tripped up a few times, which teach best what you most need to learn, right? So it's about the role of lifestyle consultants. And, you know, we're going to explore, so I'll give you a little heads up, but what do we mean by lifestyle? And that's what you were talking about with your values, how, you know, what is the style of life I want to lead, basically. Yeah. Um, I was going to ask you, and you answered the question, um, uh, do you think you're a good mom today? And you said, I am a good mom. And when I was delivering a lot of, when all the kids were younger, I would put this in my presentation just to remind myself that there is no such thing as quality time because a lot of parents that are super active think that they'll have quality time with their kids. Time doesn't come in quality. That's not a measure. There's only quantity. And so it's, it's not about the quality of time you spend with somebody. It's the amount of time you spend with somebody. So you made that distinction, whether you know, well, your mother did too. You're here 100% of the time or none, you know? So I kind of like wow. that. But I also agree with what you said, like being present in that time. Right. Yeah. Not being on your phone and not right. triple tasking. Like, yeah. And that's, that's it too. Like, I don't really do that now. I <laughs> just, and I think it was, it was funny because I, I was talking to somebody else this week and they're like, oh, what's your, and like my work life is kind of like, I work while he's at school. I pick him up. We do snacks. We play games, homework. We do dinner. And then I might squeeze in like an hour or two of work when, after he goes to bed. Yeah. But I just think that that, and I'm re- I have to say I'm very fortunate to be able to do that. I'm very, very fortunate. I mean, I don't have to pay for a babysitter. My Nana is here and she is and I just think that's another thing too like my nana reads stories to, to him every night before he goes to bed like how many people at their great grandma um, like reading them bedtime stories and at the end of the day my son is just so loved he is in a house full of love and that's all that matters as we uh I have one more topic I want to discuss with you leadership yeah. leadership so I want you to you, you guys have emerged as true leaders in every sense of the word, as wow. far as what you do with training coaches and building a coach community and building a recovery community. How do you describe leadership? Supporting others. I think what it's I, I think it goes back to that statement I said earlier, like how are we supporting our future leaders? A good leader is going to support somebody to pass the baton down to. Isn't? But I think they're going to, I think sometimes I see people who are leaders, you know, quote, quotation leaders, but it doesn't feel 
right. And I think that the way we make people feel while we're empowering them and supporting them to, you know, take to take on their leadership is really important. <laughs> and so, and I think too, something I'm just reflecting on my own experience. Like I used to get being a family again, you know, working together. My mom would say, you know, she's taught me a lot. And I was saying the other day, you know, I remember two years ago, whenever you did this and now I understand why you did that. And she's like, well, I want you to be able to do this. And like, this is why I do. And she kind of explained why she wants me to do certain things. And then I don't even realize it till maybe like a year ago that she was kind of teaching me to take accountability or to step up into this position. And it was all out of love and like, or sometimes I could be like, oh, she doesn't believe me or she doesn't think I'm good enough. And that's my self-doubt. Uh -huh. But she, she always sees more potential in me than what I can see in myself. And a good leader is going to not only see that in people, but wrap around that support and encourage them and on their bad days, lift them up. I don't know. I feel like a leader plays many roles whenever. And it, it's, it's like the role of a recovery coach. A leader is like a recovery coach. I read, uh, I read um, John Maxwell many years ago, and he, he writes tremendous books on leadership. And he summarized it for me in my whole approach to leadership. The number one goal of a leader is to develop other leaders. And you said it exactly the, in your words. So you own that. Um, a lot of times people think leadership is how many people they can get to follow them. Yeah, yeah. And that's it's that's not it. A leader develops other leaders. That's so interesting. I I'm just saying that's so interesting because my mom she recently asked me to do a um a strengths test. It's the it's the seven. I can't remember, but there's those seven it, habits of highly effective people. <laughs> well, yeah, they have that. But what it came up as is like, it was talking about different, there's different themes that broke it down. And I was saying, oh, well, I don't have like my, one of my lowest things was influence. Like when it came, and I was like, wow. And my mom was like, that's so interesting. <laughs> but I don't really, I don't think I, whenever I think about influence, I think about like influencers you might see and they're trying to build a brand or a name or something and I feel like it's not authentic sometimes influencing isn't authentic in my personal views yeah so there's money tied to it well and I don't know so you think you're low on influence as a no that's what this test said this test said that I was I didn't like my one of the things I um scored low it was influence but you know what it did say was that my number one strength is i am a community builder well don't you have to have influence to be a community builder <laughs> no you build i focus on building relationship well that doesn't mean i'm influencing other people's views I'm, beliefs or anything like that so you know what i think it maybe we have different view on the term influence how do you define influence exactly thank you you learned well grasshopper hey. so um I would define influence as authentic authenticity and that people are attracted to the message you are conveying. They're attracted to the person you've become. And so they see something in 
in that person that they want to have or be like. And that, to me, is a very quiet, warm influence. It's not me, and other people see it more aggressively or assertively that I'm trying to get you to buy a car, you know, and I'm going to influence you to buy a car. That's not how I see it. I see it's just an attraction of that human being. Well, what's the difference between your definition of influence and inspiration? Inspiration is when you have a wonderful sense of humor and a huge cadre oh, dad joke. Gosh. <laughs> I think might might be rough. That's inspiring, though. I so you're starting to lean forward and like doing your thing. Like you, where do you have to go pick up uh, Mary soon? Oh no, I'm just. Uh, <laughs> I'm just like our definition of inspiration. It's a it's something that creates momentum. I, in I, others. I see inspire right is in in closely tied in with enthusiasm and motivation that the message you're delivering uh, motivates me, enthusiasm. I love that my sponsor always talked about enthusiasm, the root means to be with God. So in some ways it's spirit-led so that other people can tap into that spirit and be inspired or influenced by the spirit as well. I think there's a spiritual nature to it or energy. I feel like my def- like whenever you, you what you just described with influence, I feel like I see people or I'm I, I that's ins- that just relates to inspiration where I have passion and I have uh our Woodard has that quote where he said when you have passion and power when you have passion and purpose and power oh I can't remember how it goes but he talks about passion purpose and power and that's like wow, this is achievable, this inspires me. Uh-huh. Ooh, I really align with this. It, it motivates me to want to take action. Mm-hmm. But that I wouldn't necessarily call that influence. Call that inspiration. Well, I would call it different influence. Different strokes for different folks. Different strokes for different folks. Always- but I think the way that, you're, that your business has grown and people are attracted to your style of training, your style of coaching recovery um, means that you do have influence. But I think I think people are attracted to authenticity. Okay. We're just I batting around the same words. So I, uh, I guess so. I just need, I think, you know what? You're going to make me go research now. I'm going to go down a rabbit to hole. Toss out that test. Just okay. It. Toss out the test. Toss out the test. Yeah. Well, You've influenced you. me. What was, what was it Thank like? It, like a Facebook uh, oh, test or something? No, I'm sure it was official. No, I, oh my gosh, not like the, old the oh, cosmopolitan search. So, oh, cosmopolitan. As you, is there anything you'd like to close with, Khalees? Anything you haven't mes- met, mentioned about recovery? Anything you want people to know? You know what? Actually, I just painted a new a new sign that's going to be going in my office, and it says, "I said it the other day to my son. I said, um." Can, I said, be kind and continue. And I was like, oh, I really like that. Because mm-hmm. whenever stuff flares up, it might be a little challenging. Mm-hmm. Other situations challenging me. Please be kind, but continue. Mm. My wow. latest one came from Matthew McConaughey talking to his son. It's like, uh, uh, be with great people and do cool things. Oh, I like that too. Yeah. Yep. So that's a great way. That's a great way to end this. Be with great people and do cool things. Awesome. And 
Gotcha. See you on the flippy. Thank you, Khalid. Thank you, Khalid. You're wonderful. Thank y'all. Bye. 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 Thank you for listening to the Recovery Matters Podcast. We hope that you have connected in some way with what you've heard. For more information, you can find us on the web at ccar.us. Like and follow us on Twitter and Facebook at ccar, the number four, recovery. And on Instagram at Recovery Matters Podcast. And you can use the hashtag RecoveryFirst to show support for our mission. Have questions, comments, feedback? Email us at podcast at ccar.us. Fire feeds fire. So if yours is burning right now, reach out and share it with someone.